Welcome to the Consummate Athlete Podcast, where our goal is to help you find health and community through movement. I'm Molly Herford, a writer, coach, and yoga teacher. And I'm Peter Glassford, an endurance coach and kinesiologist. Every week, we're talking to athletes and experts who can help you lead your best active, adventurous life. Whether you're a gravel racer, a marathon runner, or you just got out on your first bike ride yesterday, we're here cheering you on. You can also visit us online at consummateathlete.com for coaching information and training tips, nutrition advice, yoga flows, bike skills, and more. And now, let's get into this week's episode hello hello welcome back to the consummate athlete podcast peter how's it going well hopefully it's going well uh we have recorded this in advance molly ran uh at least part of a hundred miler on the weekend <laughs> we'll find out <laughs> how it started a hundred miler on <laughs> yeah the we'll knock on wood and wish you the best but uh yeah so this this is recorded i mean all of our stuff's recorded uh, but we've posted this ahead of time so good luck to future or past molly depending on when you're listening to oh this oh boy and yeah, we're here. Uh, I kind of want to do the Wayne's World, like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, jumping the way back or the way forward machine, and away you go. Yeah, we should also add that we are planning to go back to our or d- try out going back to our two a week schedule. So we'll be back with you later this week to talk about how the race went. So definitely uh, keep an eye on that. Hit that subscribe button if you want to make sure you don't miss any of our Friday episodes. We're gonna bring back sort of those those shorter Friday episodes where we're answering just one or two questions. One question or a quick conversation with mm-hmm. someone or you know just your race recap might be one so yeah we'll play a, with a couple ideas but you know like to keep things mixed up and seasonality and so forth yeah so if you do have any questions or topics you want kind of quick hits on definitely hit us up over at consummateathlete.com or on instagram wherever wherever you find us really uh, but so today's guest i'm actually super excited about this because if a few weeks back now, we did a Q&A where we talked about the idea of shift work and how to balance training and racing goals around when you're working at night or you're four days on, three days off, or just working on a schedule that's not your traditional nine to five. It seems and like consummate athletes as a whole uh, really like this idea of you know shift work, you know sleep deprivation, sleeping period. I don't think anyone likes sleep deprivation. Let's just be clear here. <laughs> but they are contending with it. Again, Molly may have run 100 miles over the course of somewhere between 20 and whatever number of hours. So we'll keep that in mind when we talk about sleep deprivation. Um, but yeah, Dr. Jim Slauson has returned. He is another episode. And we had him on previously as sort of a, uh, a real life consummate athlete because he, he trains away. He's, you know, been training for many, many years in many different ways, you know, some running, some biking, different focus, shifting focus as time goes on. Uh, you know, he's been injured. He's been not injured. Uh, and You'd again, hope. and again, he's a doctor, right? And, and we have a few, I have a few clients that really look up and really like Jim and, and is one of their, you know, sort of mentors as well. So uh, we're glad to have Jim back because he is, works a lot of nights in emergency and he's been doing this for a lot of years. So he's made mistakes, he's made tweaks, he's made adjustments, and he, he wanted to share sort of some of the some of these with us. Yeah, and I really like this because we also had Amy ben- Dr. Amy Bender on a couple weeks ago to talk about the science of sleep and get into jet lag and night work and all of that kind of stuff. And she can't, she comes at it from obviously a research angle. So we'd already kind of hit the practical, here's what we've seen in years of coaching and here's just sort of the basics and then she came on and talked about the science and now here's someone who understands the science as a doctor but then also lives it as a practicing doctor who works nights and you know balances that athletic career on the side so mm-hmm. i thought it was sort of the perfect culmination of our 
shift work trilogy, if you will. I guess that's what it is. Yeah. And so we go through some gadgets, you know, different things he's changed and tried over the years as far as sleep schedules and sleep, you know, the room setup. As I say, some different gadgets that he's found have helped. He also likes the noise machine, which we've found has been a great addition. Oh, that white over the noise last machine has been amazing, especially if you travel. We actually bring it with us now, and it is so helpful. Just to normalize it, yeah, yeah. Keep it, keep on any changes. You know, someone run comes in and closes the door while you're sleeping during the day, which you know you can excuse your family for living, you know, during the day. Uh, so you know that's something that makes a lot of sense. He also, t- you know, the, the cooling being important during the day when it's hotter. Uh, especially I believe Jim's down in Texas. So I, I imagine it gets quite hot there during the summer. Uh, so there's that, right? So just thinking about all these different factors and, and optimizing the sleep you do get if you are going to do it. And, uh, you know, the biggest takeaway for me was that like everything, there's probably different responses to these sleep schedules. And he was he pointed out that some people are just probably wired up better to deal with night work, especially night work, right? Where it's like you're just always on nights. Uh, and that, you know, these people who are used to staying up and prefer to stay up, um, those are, are those the night owls? or Yeah, they're the know, night owls. Essentially night owls. Um, you know, someone who goes to bed late and likes to wake up a little later is going to do better with a night shift, right? I think that makes a lot of sense. Not that the other folks can't do it, but, you know, you wonder if there's a bit of a trend there. And as far as long-term health outcomes, possibly, maybe those people do better. So, you know, thought it was interesting. Again, when we're trying not to vilify shift work and, and night shift because we need these shift works, especially in, you know, things like medical. And I think that's the big thing you've found in your coaching is you've actually had some fairly defensive clients who've come in and just said, just so you know, I'm not going to stop doing this because they've been told by other coaches in the past that the best way to deal with shift work or night work is to not do it. But that's just so unrealistic. Right. Yeah. I mean, I guess defensive is fair, but they were, you know, to the point that, you know, this is life. You know, they're going to continue doing the good work we need as, as nurses or, or doctors or whatever. Well, yeah, not not defensive in a negative way. I meant this in like right. the most positive way, right. just in the, they've just been told so many times that the only healthy way for them to do anything is going to be to leave doing this work that they arguably cool. enjoy and just makes sense for their life. But I think you can find ways to train around almost any life right. situation. Yeah. It and might that's, not be the perfect training. It might not be exactly what you And I think want, more to the point and maybe where we're, we've maybe touched that on in our episode, we talked about this shift work stuff, but Jim talks a bit like there's just better days of the week for him to do maybe his hard workout versus his long workout versus his rest days. And then also that he has, I think this is common with firefighters in different fields where there's a, a chunk of work and then he gets a chunk that's more off or, or completely off. I think in his case now, Um, but I think that's probably common for some people that there's like chunks of time where they're more off where, you know, an event might be smartly placed, right? Where you can get a lot of sleep and you may have to change your sleep schedule for the event. Uh, so he's found that, you know, time in the event, it might mean fewer events in the year, but really trying to organize the schedule around that. Right. Which I think makes a lot of sense. Sure. Yeah, so we'll include episode uh, the past episodes we've done on shift work in the show notes. You can head over to consummateathlete.com to find them. Uh, but without further ado, uh, let's get into this episode with Dr. Jim Slosson. All right, so we're back here with Jim Slosson. And Jim is a doctor, if you recall. We've had him on as a real-life consummate athlete in 2019. Uh, we talked about all sorts of different things about balancing life and you know, you know, know, racing and, and what does it all mean as far as riding bikes, racing bikes. Uh, and then balancing family and work. So we're happy that Jim is back with us today. Jim, welcome back to the Consummate Athlete. Thank you for having me. It's uh, been a, 
a long and a short three years. <laughs> well, for all of us, I guess, but you, yeah, you've definitely had some, some things going on here. I imagine as a doctor <laughs> that alone would have filled, filled the, 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 the cup, the pie, you know, whatever we're filling here, uh, it would have been very busy, but you've had a lot going on. Yeah. But you're still of, here. Uh, life's adventures. Yeah. <laughs> but you, you took the time here and I, you know, we always like getting feedback and, you know, whether it's, you know, people didn't like something or didn't agree with it or agreed with it. And in the, the shift work episode we just did, it was just a Q and a, uh, sort of about what I've seen with clients who have done it really well and you know, learning from them. And you reached out because, you, you know, A, you deal with night shift all the time for a long time, right? Right. I've been doing night shift for 20 years and I've been doing shift work for 30 years. So Right, right. And, and that that difference is something we didn't necessarily touch on. Uh, so I was wondering if we start there. You know, you, right. you I think you said you, you pretty much switched to basically nights, like only nights right. or, or is it? Because right. that's the difference, right? It could be all night shift. Or you could have some some people. I was just building a plan for a, a police officer, and it was two day shifts, two night shifts, four days off, right? right. Which sounds like, oh yeah, four days off, not so bad. But that's you know, in this you know sleep cycle, this circadian rhythm, that difference can be pretty big. Yeah, the the transitions are are very difficult, right? Um, in in emergency medicine, for example, in a, in a standard busy hospital you might have three or four different shifts that you would be working each month. And then those will be divided up a certain way. Um, so you might be jumping ahead. You might be falling back and fitting your sleep and your training and your family and how to negotiate life is a challenge. You know, for example, I work 12 to 14 days a month, which sounds wonderful. But then if you think about the fact that I'm completely in bed, at least the day of my first shift, that adds a day. And then um, the days after my shifts take some time to recover. And I always think about when I was out doing long rides or a, a long bike race a day or two or three after a two-week period of work. And, and I just didn't do well. And I was just, I felt like I just wanted to be asleep. And it just dawned on me, well, yes, of course you want to be asleep. That's what you've been doing for the past two weeks. You haven't transitioned yet. So, so there is some um, days that are kind of added on to the actual work when it comes to, to doing shift work, if you want to do all the other things. And, and so that's the challenge. And that was very difficult for me um, in the first 10 years when I would do those three or four different shifts. I might do a 7am shift. I might do 10am shifts. I might do 4pm shifts. I might do night shifts and a couple this week and a couple that week, and then switch to a couple that week. And, and that seemed super chaotic to me, especially trying to ride my bike or run or whatever I was doing at the time playing basketball. Um, and I, I kind of noticed that I was able to do night shifts. I kind of enjoyed them. I, I, it's a different sort of population of, of staff and of patients, but I, I, I could do it. I was okay the next day, whereas a lot of my colleagues were just wiped out. They just, they can't do it. And so I said, well, I can do this. And people do not like night shifts. And since they do not like night shifts, you actually get a little bit of negotiating power. Um, you might get paid a little more, but for me, it was more of if I'm going to do night shifts, 
you know, I have to do them on a block because you can't do three night shifts and then be off for two days and then do two night shifts and be off for three days and have any type of a normal daytime life, you know? So it, it gave me the freedom to kind of block all of those shifts together. So I generally work 12 to 14 shifts consecutively. And that gives me two weeks off to recover, do the things I want to do and travel. So we travel a lot, go to bike races, go to visit my family, things like that. So it gave me that freedom, but it, it, it started out with the fact that I could do the night shifts and, and other people didn't like doing them or, or just physiologically couldn't do them. Yeah. You bring up this idea of a lark, right? So the, and that's from, did you take that from the Matthew Walker book or where's right, the, that's the, from the Matthew Walker book? Yeah. You know, some people are larks. They're up at 5am and they are ready to go every single day. And yeah. Some people are owls. Maybe I'm more of an owl where, you know, I'm not very good until at least noon. And then I do okay during the night. You know, most people kind of fit in the middle somewhere. So, hmm. you know, I, 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 I'm an owl and, and it works for me. And I thought that was one of, you know, you're always great here as a guest. I wish every guest would send, you know, a bunch of ideas and sort of pre-thoughts, right? Because you've thought through it. And, and one of the th things that I liked was that, you know, this idea of everyone's down, you know, that's a carcinogen and, you know, it's all bad, but like any study, there's going to be variability. And I like that, you know, I've not, not actually heard anyone talk about, you know, some people might just be wired up where night shifts actually either not as bad for them or actually could be fine. Right. They, they're the same. And so you talked about a few of those factors there. Um, you know, a, is that the way you're wired up? And then B, the other one I liked was, um, you know, people end up because of all these factors, you know, life goes on, it's noisy outside. So yeah. you, you went away at sort of trying to mitigate some of these other things that may be confounding the research against, you know, the people who are up all night. So do you want to talk about some of those things that you've done to sort of mitigate and normalize even, uh, the night shift? Well, you know, night sleep as a, as a field and as a um, public discussion point is really a new field, say, for the last 20 years. And that's where we've been talking more about the importance of it and how to do it, how not to do it, and why, you know, what to do to make it better. You know, so 20 years ago, I just I just kind of simply looked at it and, you know, I, I saw my colleagues or I saw especially like the nurses that I work with. A lot of them are female and a lot of them have families and they were kind of working nights so that they would be able to take care of their kids. They might sleep two hours and then go pick some kids up and sleep an hour and then get someone to basketball practice. And and so that broken sleep, I figured wasn't good. But then just the overall research of of the. Um, you know, the patterns of, of night shift workers in general is that they don't sleep as much quantity as people that work traditional nine to five and sleep 10 to seven. And so, you know, 20 years ago, before all the research and discussion on night, I said, well, maybe that's the biggest factor is just that we, we aren't getting the quantity of sleep if we're working nights and maybe if I make sure I get the quantity of sleep, I'll mitigate the, you know, downsides that have been identified of, of, you know, more obesity, more diabetes, more cancers, shorter lifespans, more psychological problems, et cetera, et cetera, that are supposedly associated with life. And so that's where I just decided, well, then, then I'm going to dedicate eight hours a day to sleeping. And so it's, 
I just consider it to be my night. You know, I don't go to meeting. I don't get up in the middle of the day and, and go to meetings because that's not what people that sleep nights do. You don't, right. they don't go to 3am meetings yeah. and my, my phone is completely turned off. I'm not getting dings and text messages and phone calls. You know, people that sleep at night aren't getting phone calls and text messages and, and things like that. Mm -hmm. and, and then as I talked about in the notes, you know, the first thing you got to do though is, is, are you going to be able to do that? And that's where that kind of family discussion comes in. It says, you know, this is, this is what I'm planning on doing. And I need my sleep during the day, just like you all need your sleep at night. So that's going to require, you know, a, a commitment from the family. And are, is this, is this a journey we're able to take? And, and, and do we want to do that? You know, I'm not, I may be sleeping in the next bedroom, but I'm not available. Um, you know, if they're handing out money on the streets or if uh, World War III broke out, yeah, wake me up. But other than that, I'm not available. And so the family knows that. But then the kids, even when they're young, they knew when their friends came over, they kind of had to be quiet if dad was sleeping. And and so it was just those understandings that that can make it work. And And if you think about those things before you take the plunge, it certainly makes better relationships and, and a better, you can pull it off better. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I like that idea of scheduling it and, and then setting mm -hmm. up some of these, these things that you've, you know, you called them, you know, tweaks or hacks or, you know, yeah. Uh, yeah. So there's, you know, the, you mentioned your phone being off and I think everyone knows that. It, I mean, executing that is, is tough. I think for a lot of people, um, are you doing anything now that they have like the phones are set up so they like automatically go into some of these modes. Do you use those or, or do you think it has to be on you? I, well, I'm, I'm sure not, I think it has to be on me because uh, as I mentioned, the, the, um, the studies say that your phone needs to be turned off and in a drawer completely across the house from you, right. Right. For you to, for it not to impact your sleep. So if it's sitting on the headstand and it's dinging and binging and the lights going on, obviously that can disturb you. But even if it's in do not disturb mode and it's on the nightstand supposedly it's it's bothering you so you know mm -hmm. my psychological hack was i turned mine into airplane mode and that way because i have it in my bedroom using it as an alarm but if i turn it to airplane mode at least in my brain when i go to sleep if i get up to use the restroom or if i wake up for for five minutes in the middle of the night psychologically there's nothing new on my phone that wasn't there when i turned it off mm -hmm. so all those emails and text messages and phone calls that may have been directed at me during the day in my mind aren't on that phone until i get up at my alarm and choose to take it out of airplane mode and then they all come across and so i think maybe that might help but maybe that's my Sure. Um, hack of not keeping it in a drawer off across the house because I use it as my alarm. Yeah, and I, I try and leave mine out of the the room, but certainly we've been when we were traveling more, right? There's just certain circumstances. Maybe you only have your room, right? There might not be another room in the house. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I think that airplane mode is super important. Um, so I think that makes sense. I think it's you know almost like a mailbox. The other one that and I thought was a lot of my colleagues that that sleep that work similar schedules to me, they, you know, they still get their text messages and phone calls and yeah. well, but someone might need me this might the other. And I, 
I just they wake say, up you know, at, we've at gone, midnight, they're sending emails and stuff. We've, we've gone a few million years without a cell phone and, and we're still doing pretty good. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so your, your parents didn't need it. And, and, you know, how many times did, how many times did your parents need that telephone even in right. the middle of the night? And so is the one out of a million thing worth getting a bad sleep and having bad health detriment? So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's tricky thinking about that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, uh, similarly, you know, I've found it's very hard to do, but Gmail now has, uh, like a pause, I'm sure, but lots of different ones have pause where it's similar, like it's coming to you. Someone sent it, but you haven't let it into the inbox. Sure. Uh, and so it just makes that like you can actually focus on the thing you're doing, which might be writing an email, but you can't see the other emails coming in or whatever right. you're doing. And I find that that's the days I can just have that set up so much better. That's a perfect that's a perfect kind of corollary. So, yeah. yeah. Proof, the, that, uh, proof that maybe what I've chosen to do might be working for me. <laughs> well, maybe. I, I can I, guess... o- I can only speculate that it is. So it's nice to get some some thoughts in a, in a different situation. So I want to cover some of these other, you know, practical things too, right? Cause you're, you've actually done this and it mm-hmm. might not work for everyone, like you say, right. But I think some of these, you know, we talk about sleep hygiene. The one is often uh, the dark room. Have you done anything uh, that really makes your room dark? Like, are you doing blinds or how did you black? that? Yeah, I'm, room glad, I'm glad you brought that up. Cause there was one thing I didn't mention in the email that was key, but uh, so, you know, we have, I, I, we have kind of shades inside the window and then there's a curtain over it and, you know, there's blackout curtains. I mean, it's 99% black in that room, even in the middle of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, this is a family discussion with all that there's tape on there, uh, stuff like that. So that room actually never sees the light of day, even though I'm off for two weeks, but we don't tear it all apart. And, and so my wife understands that, you know, she doesn't have a bedroom that she throws the, the curtains open in every morning and, and right. lets the sunshine in. And so that's, that's one thing. The other thing that was super important is we, we have a house that we built here about three years ago. And before that we'd been in an apartment. And so, you know, basically that bedroom, which is this black cave is, is isolated. And so if you only have one door in, one door out, and then you've got a bedroom with a bathroom attached to it, that doesn't work for your partner. Mm-hmm. You know, if they can't get into anything during the day, you know, so anyway, so when we built our house, we built a doorway through her closet so she can get to the bathroom she can take a shower. She can take a bath. She can, she, most of her clothes are in her closet without actually coming into the bedroom. Gotcha. And so the, like our apartment it was one one door that led to the bedroom and the bathroom. So she was pretty much could not go in or she went wake in, she up. tried to sneak in and or maybe wake me up or not. So hmm. so that to me, that's a key consideration is that if, if you're going to dedicate your room to this dark, dark, dark thing, the measures that it really keep truly it dark. takes to keep yeah. it dark are semi-permanent. Right. And uh and you said, yeah. we actually just found this too. I mean, related to that, you know, your wife maybe takes a shower or something. And then we're wondering, you know, do you use earplugs or, and you mentioned you'd actually just found a noise machine. So are you using that in place of a earplugs or, or are you just now using a noise machine? No, we, I mean, I've always had fans on. That was kind of the first step. And that mm-hmm. was just because it's hot during the day. And then they add some white noise. Yeah. Uh, probably six or seven years ago, we 
got a sound machine when we were traveling once and uh, that was wonderful and we use that all the time now um and then we'll mention the the mattress cooler a little while later but there's another thing called a an uler which is a mattress cooler and it has a little hum and so it's mainly white noise of fans um the whatever you choose on your noise machine and this uler that kind of give a little ambient noise so that she's in the bathroom next door i don't hear the shower and i don't hear her door coming through the closet and stuff yeah like that. I, I was like uh, sort of against it molly's always liked a, a fan and we'll have those often you know as you say when it for more of the temperature but you know deal with the the sound when it was there but i would now it's it's quite good and, and you can change the the noise so it's not quite mm-hmm. you know there might be a certain frequency that's irritating to you but then one that's more gentle and there's certainly the the cliche like waterfall and babbling brook and stuff if that's right your, we use we use those we use the train or the waterfall or the ocean right. shore and you know there's some like babbling brooks and there's some like fireplace uh, uh yeah. campfires that right. don't quite work and, and the one of the babbling brook i think has insect noises and that <laughs> doesn't make any sense to my wife and i kind yeah. of agree yeah, with that fish, so, but, but, but some people may be very comforted with that if they're real outdoorsy people so yeah and i mean we always may as well go on to cooling and that sort of fits in the sleep hygiene um yeah. you have your windows are all shut so you can't really open maybe you don't want to because it's hotter where you are <laughs> here where it's very cold a lot of the time but so yeah. you're you've gotten into these these mattress covers that are it's like water cooled mattress covers is that what you're this yeah so is? you know especially say in texas or in most places it's a little harder to keep the house in general cool during the day number one you know technically you want your house very cool during your sleep period which is night and so it's okay to take your ac down to 68 or 65 and to keep your heat down to 62 but then you don't want that all day long because your family needs to function in that environment and plus your electrical bill doesn't need to be uh, sky high so so and then just the ambient temperature of the house especially in texas you know it's going to heat up during the day and so keeping the bedroom cool is a challenge that's where the fans were used at first um you can maybe in the winter close your your heat vents so that when the heat is on out in the rest of the house it's not heating up the bedroom and that keeps it a little cooler but the heat in the summertime is the main challenge and for me, the game changer, I'm, but again, it's, it's kind of an individual or personal thing. I, I'm someone who has to have all covers over me, so I can't sleep uncovered, which, so that adds a layer of heat. And I, I'm, I'm a heavy sweater. I just sweat a lot. And so now I would always just kind of wake up with a lot of sweat in the bed and, and that was less comfortable. And, and, uh, but then there, and about a year ago, we got this thing called an Uler. And I think there's a couple of companies that make similar things that is a, it's a cover of your mattress that pumps water through it. And you can choose it to be super high. Like, like you can choose it to be 110 degrees, or you can take it down to 55 degrees. And, you know, when you look at how to, how to sleep, you know, you want your body to start at a high temperature and drop. That's what one of the signals to bring on sleep. So you can use that mattress cover that way. You can turn it up high when you first get in bed. And then once you're feeling a little drowsy, take it down and that'll drop and help you get to sleep. But then just this ability to keep my bed cold has been a game changer for me. I don't, I don't wake up in a pile of sweat anymore. And uh, it's just been wonderful. And I've been using it for about a year now. So I, 
it's okay. not just uh, it's not just wow this is new and shiny and i love it and, and i paid a lot of money for it so it's great but i think it it really really worked my wife loves it too she doesn't turn it as cool and you know when we travel a lot we kind of miss our environment so I, mm. it's it's expensive yeah. but um it does work okay okay uh, I guess moving from there, then you talk in a few different ways about sort of the sympathetic parasympathetic or the sort of like, you know, getting amped up versus like winding down. Um, right. And so probably the biggest one was is, is coffee, right? And I know that a lot of shift workers probably in the hospital, it's, you know, almost a joke, right? Like, and we joked about it here just as we started a call, right? We're getting coffee and you got yours. I didn't get mine. Um, so what do you do with coffee? Well, you know, coffee <clears throat> supposedly has a very long half-life of seven hours or so and so if you drink a cup of coffee now it's still got 50 percent of the concentration in your bloodstream seven hours from now so as i don't sleep as well as i did 20 years ago uh, when and i and i love coffee and i drink a lot of coffee i, I limit my coffee to where i my last cup of coffee is right when i get to work and so that way 10 or 12 hours later when i go to bed it's it's dissipated in my system so uh some people are you know and then there's a degree of, of responsiveness to the caffeine some people can drink a cup of coffee and an hour before bed and it doesn't affect them some people can drink a cup of coffee five hours before going to bed and then be up for five hours so you got to kind of know yourself a little bit but as you get older and if you're really committed to this and if you want to use the the physiology then just limit your coffee to where it's as out of your system as possible at the time that you schedule to go to bed and then going more into the parasympathetic and sympathetic, you know, you don't want to go to bed in a sympathetic fight flight, get going state. You want to go to bed in the parasympathetic uh, rest and sleep state. And you, you all in your Q and a, you were talking about training and, and how to do that. And, uh, and so, you, you know, going back to finding out what works for you. Um, you know, if, if you're trying to train to be a competitive athlete, you know, you're going to have to train each day. And is that going to be after work before you go to sleep? Or is that going to be before work after you've slept? And so you need to figure that out for yourself. Um, you know, back when I was in medical school, I would try to get up before medical school and work out. And then I would just sleep through all my morning classes again, is that because of the exercise or is that just because I wasn't a lark to begin with? So, um, what, you know, what works for me now is I get up four hours before I go to work and wake up for an hour, watch little TV and then go out and do my workout after I've had some coffee. And, and I'm very awake and alert and it energizes me the, the days I don't do that before work. I'm just not quite as sharp. I'm not quite as on, um, but when we last spoke three years ago, I was running 30 minutes every day and that seemed to fit after work. And that was, you know, just 30 minutes and it was a low intensity and it probably brought my body temperature up a little bit. So that helped with dropping temperature, getting to sleep, but I didn't find any problems with getting in bed. But if I'd gone out and done you know, intervals on a track, or if I'd gone out and done a hard bike workout, I mean, you, you know how you feel after that type of a workout, it takes hours before your body comes down for that. So yeah, um, it's just a, a factor you'll have to f- 
fit in is, is if I'm going to exercise before I go to sleep, then it's going to probably need to be low intensity. So I don't get sympathetic. And if I'm going to exercise, you know, do my intervals, those are probably going to have to happen before work. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's all these interesting factors about, you know, that may or may not work for you, but it's, you know, trying to coordinate these, I guess, you know, and, and almost like, could you, I guess if someone were starting out on this or, or wants to improve their night shift, sort of, you know, <laughs> their tolerance for it, would you suggest, you know, maybe we try, you know, for a week, you do, you know, this 30 minute easy run, you know, as you said, after work, before bed, uh, and just see how you roll. And then, you know, maybe you try it before work, would that be, you know, how would you systematically, you know, do that? Do you think? Well, I think first you'd have to say, you know, how am I wired? Right. And am I more of a lark or am I more of an owl? And then if you're more of an owl, then you probably don't want to work out before bed because you need to get sleep. If you're more of a lark, maybe the workout before you go to bed is good because a lark wants to be awake mm. and maybe a, a light workout will actually help burn a bit bring of on sleep, <laughs> burn a bit of, burn a bit of energy. Yeah but not get so high where it keeps you amped up, but then it raises your core temperature and you take a shower, get in bed, your core temperature drops and that'll help precipitate sleep. So, you know, at least I I'd say, you know, you're going to have to do these things for a month. And, uh, but, but, but the first, you know, the first step is be honest with yourself and say, what do I think I'm like? Okay. Let's structure this. Let's do it for a month. And then, Let's see how it's working, but keep these overall concepts in mind of, you don't want to go to bed wired and amped. So probably high intensity workouts need to happen after sleep or on your off days and, and things like that. And it strikes me that some of this you'd have to do for a bit, like the coffee certainly is one that like when you're in it, you know, and you're having four a day and whatever, like you don't really know. Right. Whereas if you can back yourself down gradually or with some decaf or skipping that last one, distracting yourself. And then, as you say, do it for a month, you know, and maybe then you can see like that objective, like, oh, I slept way better, right. you know, this month versus last month. It's right. a tricky one to ever <laughs> behavior change is tricky. Right. Especially if you're tired, I guess. Um, the other, I want to just make sure we, there was two other things here that I had. Oh, you, you've started stretching a bit and sort of like, we could call this like deep breathing or meditation before bed. And you found that that's been helpful to sort of wind down and, and, and sort of set that routine. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's been a real de-emphasis on stretching. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And it's, sort of, it's, and, not, it's not popular anymore. Right. It's, it's fascinating. In fact, I think it was like the American College of Sports Medicine or, or, one of their authorities put an article out like two years ago that just said, you know, stretching hasn't been shown to have any health and life benefits. So don't do it. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I think, I think the message that was really saying was that you basically have strength training, endurance, tra- you know, strength training, cardiovascular training and stretching as kind of three components of physical activity. Yep. And, and so I think the point was that if you're considering stretching to be a third of it, that's, it was, I think, right. Like it was a big chunk of time. That's way too much. Right. Mm -hmm. And then also you might say, well, then since there's these three things, I'm just going to choose stretching. And then you avoid these other two, which are equally or more important. Sure. But I, I just, my, my thoughts are, you know, just as a, 
pragmatic person, as an observational person, is you know, if, the, if you look at the way a, a two-year-old interacts with the ground and gets up off the ground versus a teenager mm -hmm. versus a 30-year-old versus someone your age versus someone my age, close to 60, versus this 80-year-old person, and you see this progressive decline in flexibility and mobility. Mm -hmm. And it's not because we're getting better, stronger, faster. Yeah, it's not right? all these like tight muscles that we're building. And yeah. it just are. And so I, I just want to minimize that decline. So that's why I've kind of gotten into it. But it's tough with stretch. the research. Yeah. And then and then you oppose that versus like the history of yoga or something like that. Right. And and there's obviously something to it, you know. And so right. Well, yoga is a whole nother story because yoga was not invented as an athletic thing. It was invented as a psychological thing. Right. And, which sort of gets and, your point about stretching though, right? Like it may not be that you're preventing your knee injury or, or back stuff or anything by stretching. Right. But if it's getting you to bed on time, then it's, you know, right. So, I, you know, I just, yeah, I like to do things that, that have more than one effect. Right. And, and so, you know, my goal of minimizing my decline of flexibility and mobility as I age is, is the main thing. But then I noticed that I think it helps me get to sleep better and mm -hmm. certainly stretching, passive stretching, you know, not active stretching. There's a couple of different types of stretching, but just kind of passive stretching certainly brings you down to a mm -hmm. more parasympathetic state. So, yeah. um, and it's I mean, good. we've seen that, like if anyone who's gotten to the end of a yoga uh, class at the, you know, it's, I used to go this one, it was seven o'clock and I had to drive home. It was the most unsafe thing in hindsight. Right. Cause I was, you know, you'd fall asleep during the Shavasana. Then, uh, this one had like a five or 10 minute one. And it was in a dark room at, you know, bedtime right. <laughs> like, and you're driving home, <laughs> trying to get home. Yeah. So yeah. that's, I mean, that's the other thing is any, any of these habits that you are fitting scheduling into your day. Um, they might have two, two possibilities, you know, At like least, my yeah. workout, my workout before work may get me going. Number one, it gets my workout in, which is the most important thing to me because I'm trying to still compete and, mm -hmm. and stay at it. Um, number two, it may get me going. It may, you know, not just the coffee gets me going, but the workout gets me going too. And then number three, it kind of keeps me going during work. And so, okay. um, you know, multiple, multiple effects are important to me. I like it. So the last one I see here then is, you know, the, if you're going to do a hard workout or, a, you know, we could group the, the long, you know, your long ride, your long run. So anything that's like yeah. getting challenging or, you know, an event of some type, where are you putting those, right? Like are, are those, you know, the, that's a tricky thing, right? And this gets into my bucket of, you know, can you do this race or do you want, you know, how are you able to prepare for this race? So how are you, you know, you're going to do a race or you're going to do this, like, where are you putting your key workout? Let's start with that question. Where are you putting like that hardest or that longest workout, you know, relative to your night shift? Well, so I'm, let's say I'm, I'm working for two weeks. So, you know, if I'm going to do st structured training, I'm going to do some hard workouts during that two week period. Mm -hmm. And that would just be before work. And, okay. uh, if that's going to be a two or two and a half hour endurance ride, that's going to be before work. If that's going to be interval training, that's going to be before work. If it was a 30 minute run or maybe a one hour ride, that's just kind of totally recovery that could possibly be after work. Mm -hmm. Um, but an hour is kind of stretching it a little bit. I think there's only so many hours in the day. Yeah. There's only so many hours in the day, but also you don't, you know, there is a point where, where it's going to be more of a waking you up type of thing rather gotcha. than allowing you to 
to come down type of thing. Hmm. And then, then, then events need to be scheduled days after, um, now Tuesday night worlds. Um, if you've got a little weekly cyclocross thing that people do after work, that's perfect. Cause they, cause I do it before work. Yeah. Um, but if it's like an event, like, a um, unbound gravel or, uh, or a tour of the Gila or whatever you want to do that, that's going to have to happen three, four, five days after the shift work is done so right. that your circadian rhythm can sort of flip back to being more of a day person. Now, do you In have experience Yeah, during your two weeks on, do, would you get like a day off, so to speak, uh, a night off, no. I guess? Um, no, no. So it's like literally 14 days you're going to the hospital yeah. or working, yeah. I guess, virtually in our world, yeah. perhaps, but you're emergency medicine. So like you're actually in the ER. Right. Right. Correct. Okay. Okay. So there, for you, there isn't, sometimes there's like that first day you have more energy, you know, coming right. off of your days off. Right. So I would think for you, you must get, do you find you get worse or, or t- more tired in week two of your, your 14 days on? Um, or now you've got these I, systems, I, you're actually okay. I, I think the systems, I'm okay. Okay. And uh, I'm just wondering, like, because you, know, you could do like a periodization where you were like the higher intensity stuff come in week one, and then maybe you go to more like a moderate, you know, sort of workout load in week two, and then week three, you're off work. So maybe there's a bit of a recovery period, you know, and then some good training. Something yeah, like that. You, you could do that. And then the, like some of your, some of your athletes who, uh, you know, like are on for two days and off for two days and on for two days, mm-hmm. you know, that would be more of a factor of how to, how to right. structure those more relevant. And, maybe. Yeah. Cause you're actually, you're probably finding like a homeostasis, I guess. Right. Even when you're switching. Right. And that's what I'm, that's what I'm looking for. Do you switch? Um, Do you go back to like normal, <laughs> I guess, so to speak, the, the way the other people live? Uh, Do you go? To- I, I kind of do as I get older, it's, it's very interesting. Cause I have less trouble going tonight and more trouble coming back today. Mm-hmm. And so I have to really guard against wanting to take a two or three hour nap every day when I'm um, going back to days. And then I kind of stay on that night thing. And so I have to really force myself to stay in bed. So I, I try to switch and, and generally I do, but, mm-hmm. um, but over but a period of days, like a few days, over a period, like, yeah, yeah. Like, it might almost take the first week I would think. Yeah. It takes a couple of days. Um, but yes. Okay. Anything else then? I think that's, you know, we're coming close to the time here that I had booked you for. Uh, is there anything else, uh, Jim, you know, any other updates, any other things as far that we've missed from your list of things about night shift? I don't think so. You know, I, I know that my experience isn't, um, super relevant to most people because most people might be working for five days out of 10 or, or, two days on two days off, things like that. So I guess the main message is just to kind of, as you alluded to, just kind of figure out where, how's this going to work in the schedule mm-hmm. and, you know, maybe the intensity, uh, the day before you go back to work and, and maybe the easy ride the day after you come off of work. And most people do get into a pattern where they, once they make a a change of shift work, they stay on shift work. So you've got time to figure it out. Um, so give it a month or two whenever you make a, a decision or a change. change to to incorporate something. Um, you know, one of one of life's wrong expressions is life is short. It's not short. <laughs> life is long. 
And so we have plenty of time to make decisions and reflections and, uh, and, and being patient will pay off in the long run. Mm. Yeah. And small tweaks. I mean, I think, you know, as much as your, your situation that you've engineered for yourself is, is different. The two weeks on the, all these things with the noise machine and sleep hygiene and cooling and, um, you know, just being careful with caffeine, right? I think these are good reminders that, that these, you know, these would be big rocks, right? All these other uh, things, you know, how we manage the on and off uh, that, as you say, is particular, but those, those, those sleep hacks, we'll call them the techniques, the yeah. sleep hygiene that's for everyone. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, Jim, thank you so much. It's great to see you and see that you're back and you're, you're back riding and feeling good. Well, it's a privilege of letting me be part of what you all do because what you all do is amazing and really important so i appreciate it thanks so much for tuning into the consummate athlete podcast if you enjoyed this or any of our past episodes do us a solid and leave us a rating or review wherever you listen to podcasts and check out our book becoming a consummate athlete over at consummateathlete.com questions or comments find us over on instagram at consummate athlete and we will see you next week